readings this evening. Our first is from the Old Testament, from the prophet Isaiah in the seventh chapter. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading this evening from 1 John in the fourth chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise as you are inclined for the reading of the gospel and Luke's gospel in the second chapter. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the gospel of our Lord. 
You may be seated, and I invite Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done to show us your love for us through Jesus. We pray that you would work at this time by your Spirit. May you remove distractions from our hearts and minds and ever focus our eyes upon Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Four or five days. Obviously, that's not how long it is till Christmas. We just heard Christmas is tomorrow. Merry Christmas. But four or five days, roughly, is about how long the journey was for Mary and Joseph. Walking from Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. About 90 miles. Okay, where do we end up if we go 90 miles south? Somewhere across the border, right? What about if we go 90 miles north? It's about L.A., Long Beach area, L.A., somewhere in there? Yeah. So 90 miles gets you a long way. Now go walk it. No? It might get you there faster than taking the 405. I mean, but as we think of that journey of walking during this time, right, we think of all the things that were just kind of regularly happening. I mean, as I read that gospel text, I have a feeling that in your mind, you heard the words I was reading, but the pictures and the thoughts you had about that text probably flowed from a number of songs, probably a couple of movies, probably a lot of Renaissance artwork, and everything all kind of started to flow into one, into where you had this picture in your mind of Mary riding on a donkey, heading into town, and there's an innkeeper standing at the door saying there's no vacancy. Sorry, you got to go. But none of that's really in the text. Kind of odd, right? And we build a lot of things up to be a really fantastic, amazing, wondrous story, and we kind of take everything that's there and expand it one way or another to make it either lower than it is low or higher than it is high. And we kind of just flow along with all these different thoughts and things that have come through all the years of folks trying to fill in the blanks of what happened. And rightly so. And we want to know what it looks like. Whether we're watching movies or TV shows or artwork or singing songs through it, I mean, it's an artistic interpretation of something that's going on in the midst of this text. But when we read the text, a lot of it's pretty regular. I mean, a lot of it really doesn't stand out any different than anything else. What I love about it, though, is that Luke is very persistent to make sure that as we read this text, it cannot be relegated into the realm of myth or legend or story. How do we know this? Well, he gives us time and place and people, right? All right, so when Caesar of Rome was named Augustus, so when Augustus was Caesar of Rome, there is a registration, a census that needed to happen. And so this happened while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so right then, as Luke's readers are reading this, they're saying, oh yeah, I remember that time in history. I, rem I remember when that happened. It wasn't all that long ago. I remember when these things were going on. And he says, during that time, folks had to go from wherever they were living to wherever their lineage was, right? 
also, Joseph, following work, had been you know, moved and followed work up into the region of Galilee, into the town of Nazareth, and the regular things of a betrothal had happened, and now Mary got some word she was going to be pregnant in a very irregular way. Uh, but she knew that, and Joseph knew that, and now this other thing was going on, and they had to go and walk, likely with a lot of other people that all had to move and travel around. And so as they traveled around from Nazareth down into Bethlehem over the fields and through the woods over to whoever's house it was that they were going to, they land there and get there, and they're there for a while. Censuses don't happen quickly. You all know how long it takes for censuses to happen here. We only do them about every 10 years or so, and even when they happen, it's months on end that you're getting information for them. Now imagine doing that without electronics and without anything else and having to wait for people to actually travel to their hometown. Okay? So they're there for a while, families in town, and the regularness of family gatherings and the brokenness of some family that maybe didn't quite believe Mary's story. Because you can imagine, as Joseph's family and relations are gathering into town as well, they're like, hey, you haven't quite gotten married yet. Well, she, uh, what's going on? Right? So you can imagine, as they're living in whatever situations they're living in for days on end and things are going on, the murmuring that's going on, that might be going on and we can imagine even for us as we travel over the hills and through the woods over to whatever house we end up going to for Christmas as family gathers together sometimes it sounds a lot like what was going on with Mary and Joseph likely and it's hard and all those things that we start to try to fill Christmas in with start to get a little overwhelming and all the things that may frustrate us during Christmas time start to get a little overwhelming and so we start to fill in the blanks and we start to say you know what let me hold on to something during this Christmas time that will make it joyful and so joy's got to be a big part of Christmas but what if it isn't it starts to be a hard Christmas what if you don't get together with family what if the house is empty what if the presents aren't there? What if all these other things that we fill in for the meaning of Christmas aren't there and then all of a sudden we're kind of left with not a whole lot? And so we look back at this story again, which isn't a story, it's an account with time and place and people. As Mary and Joseph get into town and they're staying with family and as Luke says, during the days while they were there, the days were accomplished, it's where she needed to give birth. Okay, there's a word in there that forever and ever has always been translated in. But I need to tell you something. That word that's translated in is the exact same word in that language it was written in as later on in Luke when it's translated the upper room. Okay, It's a room in the house. It's a place where the guests would be, so properly called an inn, it would be a place where guests gather where the guests that come to the house would be and as most of those houses were created you have an upper room and then you have a gathering cooking living room and then you might even have a cave a garage if you will down below where the animals would be to stay warm and that sort of thing and so as the days were accomplished and mary had to give birth there was no room for her up with everybody else in the rest of the house and again 
Maybe not all of them really appreciated the fact of what she was going through and maybe not really accepted her account of an angel coming to her telling her that she was going to be pregnant without Joseph involved. So they said, why don't you go down to the garage? Why don't you have your baby there? Because everything's busy up here. We have dinner going on. We have folks here. We have everybody in town right now. And as everything's hustling and bustling in the house, you need to be in another spot. And so they push her off to a quieter, further away place as it's time for her to give birth. Into the brokenness and regularness of a family gathering, our God took on flesh. It's a pretty amazing thing. And as we think through all of these things that are going on and all the regular things and, and the fantastic things that actually look kind of regular, a baby being born is no different than any other day a baby was being born to most of the eyes that saw it. Yet we know in the midst of that regular thing, the Son of God was born. And we retell this account and we stop this account every year and we look at it and we say that's amazing that Jesus was born and as we look at the who and what and where we finally get to a why why do we celebrate this every year is it to know that Jesus is the reason for everything sure absolutely yet there's another side to the why See, Jesus didn't need to be born. It wasn't for God's good that Jesus was born. He didn't need to take on flesh. He didn't need to do any of that. He was doing just fine up in the heavenly places. See, but he was born for you. We actually get that from Luke's text. See, the one place where the fantastic, amazing light show was going on was just outside of town on the outskirts of town when the shepherds were sitting out watching their flocks by night, right? And as an angel of the Lord sh uh, shows up to them and the glory of the Lord shows around them and he says, I bring you good tidings, good news. I've got a gospel for you. There's a Savior that's been born unto you. For you, he's been born. And you're going to know he's for you when you go in town and just follow these simple instructions you're going to find him sitting in the garage of these people's house over there. And he's going to be wrapped up in some cloths because you all know it's kind of cold out. And so as you find him there, know that that's the Savior. That baby who's not in a palace, who's not up by the temple, who's not anywhere else but sitting in a manger with some sheep and some animals around him as the family's gathered together upstairs and whoever else is with Mary and Joseph downstairs. When you find that baby, that's the Savior for you. The one that's been prophesied about. The one that has been let known about throughout the ages and years and days and all of the sunrises and all of the sunsets. All of those culminate in this baby. Born for you. Born for your sin. Born for your regularness of every day. Born into the lowliness of lonely things and into the ugliness of ugly things and into our flesh so that He would take on our flesh and take on our sins to grow up one day to die for them. For you. And rise again. For you. So that He would call you brother and sister. 
God of gods, light of light, very God of very God, taking on our flesh to forgive us. That's what was born on Christmas Day. Beautiful birth of the Son of God, born for you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that as you have loved us, you have given us your Son. That he would take on our meagerness in perfectness to one day hand us his glory. We pray, Lord, that you hold on to us and keep us in the peace and grace and mercy that you have for us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.